Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Panel podcast listener, to this, our back issue edition of our podcast. With me, as always, today is Jason. Hey, everybody. And returning once again is film creator, comic book guy, creator, extraordinaire, guru, renaissance man, all those wonderful things, Don Hanfield. Don, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. Wow, what an intro, man. That's... uh... (laughs) (laughs) We aim to please on this show, sir. We really appreciate you. you guys joining us for these... Oh, thanks for having me, man. Oh, no, absolutely. Today, we are here to talk all about Shazam, and this one in particular, Shazam! The New Beginning from 1987. So I want to give a brief introduction to the series in the book. In the wake of Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC decides to revamp and reinvigorate their universe and their heroes. First Superman, then Wonder Woman, and the Batman. Now it's the Big Red Cheese who gets the revamp treatment. When 15-year-old Billy Batson utters the magical word Shazam!, he is transformed into the adult hero Captain Marvel. With powers that rival even Superman's, Captain Marvel possesses the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, and the courage of Achilles, as well as the speed of Mercury. An automobile accident leaves young Billy Batson orphaned, forced to live with his cruel uncle Savannah. Billy soon learns that his parents' death might not have been an accident. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. (laughs) So... And this is obviously, you know, this is right after Crisis on Infinite Earths happened in the mid 80s, mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. We talked about Crisis on Infinite Earths in a past issue, uh, past episode, and I really enjoyed Crisis on Infinite Earths. We're going to get into this one as we go, but just right off the bat, I want to find out where everybody's positions are. Don, like or didn't like the book? I liked it, man. And I went in with okay. low expectations. <laughs> Jason, what about you? I liked it. I was entertained with it, but it's maybe not my favorite. Well, I am definitely in the third camp I hated this damn thing so this is going to be a lot of fun today (laughs) somebody from each one of the different possible viewpoints bring it on (laughs) well without any further ado let's jump right into the creators maybe we should wait for Billy after all let's show him we can solve a case by ourselves for a change Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Creators, those are the wonderful people just like Don who bring these stories to life. They take them from their imaginations and they 
put them on paper for all of us to enjoy or not to enjoy, as the case may be. In this case, Jason, who were the writers of Captain Marvel, Shazam! The New Beginning? The writers were Roy Thomas and his wife, Dan Thomas. Dan Thomas, really? Dan Thomas. She changed her name from Danette to Dan. Huh. Okay, that's an interesting way to go. All right. So what's what have they done in their history? Roy Thomas is pretty well known in the comic book world. He started writing for Marvel in the 60s. And actually, when Stan Lee became the publisher of Marvel and left his role as editor-in-chief, Roy Thomas stepped in as the uh, follow-up to Stan Lee with as editor-in-chief of Marvel. Oh, wow, man. Talk about big shoes to fill right with your job. Jeez. Yes. What about you, Don? Is that something you would have jumped into? Uh, that's tough, man. Anything after Stan is tough, dude. It's sort of like following whoever follows Kevin Feige if he ever leaves... Uh if you have at least Marvel, oh, yeah. it's going to be right, super yeah. tough. Absolutely. Well, what about the artist? The artist was Tom Mandrake. I mean, that's a great last name, first of all. I just got to say that. Tom Mandrake, that's awesome. Tom Mandrake. He's been around a while. Uh, he's known. He did some stuff with New Mutants for Marvel, but he's done a lot of DC work, a lot of Batman work. Uh, had a big run on the Spectre in the 90s. Uh, he's popular among DC fans because he's drawn about most of the DC characters. If you look oh, at his... Oh, okay. Biblical, so yeah, very he's, prolific he's then. Prolific guy. Very, very much so. And he also did his own inks on this book as well. Oh, so he was an inker on the book. Wow. Was, okay. He, so he, he did he, the he, art and he traced. Awesome. He traced. He traced his own work. <laughs> For some reason, though, on issue two, his wife, Jan Dursima, helped with the inking on issue two and she's an artist in her own right she's done a lot for the star wars books on dark horse oh okay well you know he was probably really swamped with some other work and she said okay honey i'll do it for you you're not getting this done in time so right who, might as well jump knows? in and do a better job than you do yes <laughs> <laughs> well what about the colorists that's a big important part of the books who are the colorists on this title so you've got for the majority of the series you've got carl gafford i looked him up i wasn't familiar with him. He's done a lot of coloring work later in his career. He did a lot of coloring on the Disney comic adaptions of like uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers and that sort of thing. So he did a lot with like cartoon animals later in his career, but uh, did a lot of coloring uh, for DC and Marvel. And on issue four, uh, he had some assistance from Joe Orlando. Hmm. Okay. I looked up Joe and found out that I had heard of him. He was a longtime comic book guy. He worked for EC Comics in the 50s and the 60s, which produced horror books like Creepy and Eerie, and later Mad Magazine. And he had a big role in Mad Magazine as uh, editor of that. And we all know about Mad Magazine. It's been around a long time. Parody Magazine, Alfred E. Newman. So. Right. Yeah. Don, have you, I'm assuming you've read Mad Magazine at some point. Oh, in your yeah, life. man. I loved Mad Magazine. You had to, <laughs> I, I remember the thing at the back, you had to fold the page a certain way to see a different picture. I right. That was yeah. Mad, the right? triple fold. Yeah, yep. exactly. That was a lot of fun. Well, and finally, I'm going to bring up the letterer because we've talked about that in the past. The lettering is very important. It's kind of that hidden art form in comic books that people don't give a lot of credit to. They think, oh, all you have to do is write the words in the bubbles and that's real mm-hmm. hard. You know, no, it's a very difficult science. It takes a lot of effort. And you got to remember this is back in the manual days when they had to do everything with pen and pencil, you know, paper. It wasn't, you know, fonts on a computer keyboard with what size and what font to choose, which is still difficult process in and of itself. The 
letterer for this book is Augustin Moss. Jason, tell us a little bit about him. So he's another one of these ones when I was looking him up. He he was definitely a prolific letterer. The, the book that seemed like he had worked a lot on was, again, The Spectre from the 90s. It was a, mm. one of these ones that Tom Mandrake, Mandrake did. Uh, I have never read this, that version of The Spectre, but I know that a lot of people really like that 90s series. Cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like they've got a pretty good group of creators creators put together on this book. I mean, you got, you know, a guy who ends up being the editor of DC. You've got Tom Mandrake, who obviously has done a ton of stuff in the art world. Mm-hmm. And you got Carl Gafford and Joe Orlando handling color and then Augustine doing the lettering. I mean, it sounds like that it has all the potential to be a really good book. So let's jump straight into the characters. Let's go. It may not look like much, but it'll do the trick. <laughs> You overgrown monkey, you better leave before Captain Marvel gets here, stupid human. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every Penny. The creators are all about creating characters, and they have definitely created some characters with this book. A lot of them obviously were created long before this particular team jumped into the series because this is kind of a revamping, a reimagining after the Crisis on Infinite series. Mm -hmm. And obviously the first one we need to talk about is Captain Marvel himself, Billy Baston. Don, what's your historical take on Captain Marvel, Billy Baston? Well, look, you know, as a kid, you know, watching Captain Marvel, it's always, you know, it's sort of like there's Coke, there's Pepsi, and then there's RC. You know, Shazam was always sort of RC, but you know, as a, as a kid, like, you know, Superman and and Spider-Man, those guys are kind of teenagers becoming it. But to be able as a kid to sort of say a word and become a superhero is sort of every kid's dream. So there's something about Shazam that has always kind of been really cool in that way. And, you know, I think there's something there's just for a kid, no better dream, say a word, become a superhero, some bullies picking on you, boom, you know, you you yelled Shazam one time and tried to become Captain Marvel, didn't you? I I did. I know you uh, did. I did too. (laughs) Yeah, you got to try. You got to try when you're a kid. Who, who doesn't? You, you know, you got to I mean, see I remember taking mom's, you know, like some sheets off her bed, tying them around my neck, Shazam, and you jump off of some high building or something, yeah. break your leg, that kind oh, of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, Captain was- <laughs> Marvel probably ruined more bed sheets and sent more kids to the hospital than just about any other character, I would say. Yeah. Superhero stuff in general. It certainly, uh, you know, caught, has caused some injuries throughout the, the ages. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jason, what about you? You have any history with Captain Marvel? <laughs> Not really. This is, I, I, was always familiar with him. Uh, I always liked his red costume. I did a little mm, bit of research right. and found that in the 40s, when he first debuted, he was part of Fawcett Comics. And right. Captain Marvel actually, back in the day, outsold Superman. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did not know okay. That. Yeah. 
So man, I mean, you know, he he definitely not doing that now, but no, I mean, yeah, no, no, he he's definitely it's interesting not. To see that at one point he was the hot property. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Well, so we've got Captain Marvel, Billy Batson. That's obviously the title character for this book in this little short four issue run. But without his supporting cast, Billy Batson, you know, he's just a teenager, right? When he's not Captain Marvel, he's just a kid, mm-hmm. and he's got to have people to take care of him, look after him, and everything. He has a horrific issue that we're going to talk about a little bit later when we get into the story segment, but his main support system is his uncle, Uncle Dudley, right? Yep, Uncle, old Uncle Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> the magician wannabe. Yeah, I love the Dickensian way of naming him, like Dudley, like, you know, it's sort of Dickens right. would always name his characters sort of what they what they were like, and Dudley, you definitely get a sense of what he's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I mean, the name fits the character, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, so what kind of history do we have with Uncle Dudley, Jason? Has he been around from the beginning of the Captain Marvel origins, or is he something that just got introduced for this series? He's been around since the beginning. He's always been kind of a caretaker for Billy. Uh, he's also referred to as Uncle Marvel, though I don't think he has any powers, but he's- God, know, no. <laughs> yeah. But they, they refer, you know, he's been referred to as Uncle Marvel. But yeah, he's one of these ones that was there since, uh, since the beginning in the early 40s. Wow. Man, I mean, you know, I hadn't read a lot of Captain Marvel before we got to the series. I mean, obviously we knew about him when I was a kid. There was a Captain Marvel TV show, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, this Uncle Dudley character, he was probably the most relatable to me in the story. So that'll be a lot of fun to talk about him. But he's not the only uncle for Billy Batson. There's another one. Mm-hmm. And he's not necessarily a good one. Dr. Savannah comes in and this guy is all kind of evil. This is the mad scientist classic evil type of thing that you have seen in story after story from our youth. Don, what did you feel about Dr. Savannah? Is he somebody that you know of from history or? I didn't remember him to be honest. And you know, it's a little bit that, that character is a little bit of the the 1940s kind of serial bad guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what, what did work for me about it was sort of the, you know, the, the uncle, the way he manipulated the boy, I thought was, was interesting away from Dudley, you know, oh, yeah, sure. yeah. using the kid and the kid finding out and sort of the emotion of this kid who was kind of orphaned. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that's a, that's a big part of this story. Jason, what about uh, Dr. Zavana? How long has he been around? He's uh, probably would be considered uh, Captain Marvel's Lex Luthor. He is his arch nemesis. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. So he's, again, he's been around there since since the beginning. He's always looked the same, you know, that kind of, you know, bald, the, the dark glasses, just the evil scientist look. And sure. he pops up every now and then in DC books when there's, you know, a meeting of villains or evil scientists. He's always, you know, somewhere in the background vying for power. Well, you know, speaking of evil people and arch nemesis, I I didn't know Dr. Savannah was considered an arch nemesis. I would have considered the next character, Black Adam, to be Captain Marvel's nemesis. He has a similar power base and power structure to Captain Marvel. He just received it much earlier in the historical timeline of mm-hmm. the series. Um, but he's definitely an evil guy and he's out to kill Captain Marvel, get over, take over the earth, all that kind of thing. He's a classic prototypical evil mad guy. I'm not going to say that he's the genius, but he's definitely a bad guy. What'd you guys think about Black Adam? I mean, I, th- I thought it was a, a good bad guy, man. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, who's, 
you know, Superman has Lex Luthor, who's not necessarily as equal physically. In this mm-hmm. sense, it's like he's a guy. He's like you know, Bizarro Superman, but he's a little, a uh, little cooler. He's like Namor and Bizarro Superman had a baby. You know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like his. I like the his uh, outfit is you know kind of the opposite of Captain Marvel's outfit with the but black with the lightning bolt, no cape. Uh, he's a he's a bad dude. He's he's strong and ruthless, and he just wants everybody to bow down to him. Yeah, and he has no problem killing people right off the bat either. It's mm-hmm. not like I want to subjugate these people, but I'm not going to kill them. No, he if you're not falling in line, he got no problem killing you. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. He was introduced in the 40s, but only was around for one issue. And then in the 70s, yeah. And then in the 70s, he came back and was more prominent. But it seems that, Ah. you know, in modern times, he's become more more popular as a villain. And every once in a while, he's sort of an anti-hero ish. He's he people seem to really like him. He's one of those characters. I know people were excited that they were hoping that The Rock would be in the Shazam movie, but I don't think that's going to happen but he is he is a favorite villain uh i so think just is the, the black adam character going to be in the movie or you're saying that the rock is just not going to be the black adam character in yeah, the movie? well they were there was talks of the rock being black adam and now from what i'm seeing from the movie and i'm trying to avoid spoilers but from what i can tell i don't think black adam's going to be in the movie oh gotcha well that's a shame because he's definitely a good character i could see him on screen i could see some really yeah. interesting fight scenes between those two right but you know i'm sure they've got something planned because everybody wants to see this film it looks like you know it's meant to be the campy version of the superhero films but not in a campy deadpool kind of way like in a just i don't know how to describe it just yeah yeah lighthearted campy i mean Mm -hmm. it's you know First of all, when they cast the guy who used to be Chuck. Right. I was like, really? That guy's going to be Shazam? But apparently he pulls it off. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, there's no point in talking about the characters anymore. Let's jump right into the story of Shazam, The New Beginning. The city square is turning into a jungle. No time to waste. Shazam! I've got to get to the zoo. If it isn't too late already. Gentlemen, time to talk about the story in particular. I'm going to start off with what has to be the first bullet point, which is Billy Batson's tragic origin story as he becomes Shazam. Before we get into it, though, I'm going to say right up front, I didn't like this book. Normally, we have books on here that I really enjoy and everything, but I it was a slog to read all four issues. I didn't enjoy the writing. I didn't enjoy the artwork. I hate to say that because, you know, we're supposed to be so comic positive and everything, but for me, this just wasn't a good one. What did you guys think? I dug it, man. I was surprised. Okay. I went in with really low, low expectations. You guys sent it to me and I was like, oh man, this I have this book. I remember in the 80s, but mm-hmm. uh, I liked it, man. I'll tell you what I, I liked. I thought the, you know, the the structure was was really good, surprisingly good. And uh, and I loved like the stuff about the hero that I'd forgotten. The fact that his name was an acronym with, for these powers. Sure, and the right. fact that Black Adam's name was an acronym for the Egyptian versions of these gods, which mm-hmm. I thought right. was just really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, there were some interesting stuff on that, but at the same time, I mean, you're a creator, you're a writer. Some of the dialogue in this didn't feel 
authentic to me. Like some of the dialogue Billy Batson had, it didn't feel like something that a 15, 16 year old kid in the mid to late eighties would be saying. And they made plenty of eighties references. There were Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. references. There were Ronald Reagan references, all these different, you know, you knew what era this story was set in. That kid did not speak like I did when I was at that age in that time period. And nobody else I knew spoke like that either. What, what specifically, I mean, on the speech thing, I was, uh, it was very formal. It was, uh, there were certain pe- pieces of speech that came off. Like he was like, thou, that's something I shall not do. Who the hell says uh, shall yeah, I, as a 15, 16 year old kid in the eighties, that's right. not going to happen. I, I didn't pick up on yeah. that, but it, it may have been, and this is me reading into it, but you know, uncle Dudley spoke very formal and he seems he to, did. and he spent it, spent a lot of time with uncle Dudley. And it may have been, he just kind of picked up uncle Dudley's speech patterns maybe but i mean they didn't explain that if that was the case they did explain that he spent time with uncle dudley but not so much that you would see him as that heavy of an influence he was very attached to his parents that's what makes the origin you know with his parents being killed so tragic that they're killed in this horrible car accident while he's hanging out with uncle dudley and Mm -hmm. he doesn't even get a chance to say goodbye to him but the kid never comes off as a prototypical 80s kid whether he was a kid that was bullied in school which is what would make the most sense right for right. a kid who becomes a superhero or if he was a jock well, well yeah mean, he no he actually that's the part i liked he got he got you know he had he got beat down in the beginning like that mm-hmm, was like mm-hmm. you know we, we grew up in a when bullying was like not just it was a rite of passage it wasn't something to be uh to be removed i mean i got beat up so many times i always tell my kids like oh i got beat up this time and they're like what yeah. <laughs> they're, like, <laughs> they're like what are you talking about it was like but you know that, that's the part i liked actually the setup that they set up billy while he had this kind of aw shucks maybe dialogue that i feel like is maybe just a, kind of a throwback from the 1940s kind of Clark mm-hmm. Kent like sure, really it, good guy stuff it felt but like what, they wrote the dialogue from the 40s that's a good observation and I but, didn't like that but what I did what I did find cool was that what they what they established as a writer it's so it's all set up and payoff right and so I always look for that and what they set up really nicely I thought was he gets beat down by this bully but he's he's actually not just a he's, he's gonna fight back he's a guy who's gonna dig deep you might beat me up but you're not gonna I'm not gonna not not stick up for myself right and I thought that was a really nice moment because later when he's Shazam, I actually bought the stuff that he was doing, that he was digging deeper to beat Black Adam or whatever mm-hmm. because of who they established he was as a kid. He wasn't a kid. He was a kid who knew adversity, but he was tough, you know? So that, that, I thought that was cool. Well, now, Jason, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the Billy and Dudley relationship. So you got the kid and the uncle, the tragic origin of, you know, his parents dying in the car crash and everything. How did you find the relationship between those two as far as it developed in the story? I got the impression that, you know, not only was Dudley his uncle, but it felt like Dudley was his best friend. They had, it was, it wasn't even like Dudley is probably old enough to be his grandfather, but it, yeah, he came off very old. Yeah. Yeah. But just the way he presented himself and everything, it just seemed like he thought of his Billy as a friend and Billy seemed to idolize Dudley, even though Dudley had some lame magic tricks and kind of right. antiquated way of presenting himself and, and talking. And, you know, Dudley didn't seem like he was too well off, but it just seemed like they had a, a 
close. Oh no, he was dirt poor. Yeah, yeah. a close. It was for sure a close uh, friendship with each other. That it was more than Dudley just. Dudley came uncles, off vaudevillian yeah. to me, right? I yeah, mean, a little to bit. To me, he came yeah. off like a vaudevillian performer more than a modern. Because even though Dudley was old, this mm-hmm. is eighty-seven when this story comes out. Mm-hmm. He would have been born in the thirties or forties. I don't think he would have been a vaudevillian style person. It, it, that doesn't make as much sense to me. But man, it just—I don't know. I—I I mean. Du- I guess for me, just to sort of jump in, I mean, Dudley, look, he was like this loser sort of magic guy, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the guys you see off the strip in Vegas who are sort of still trying to get get a buck. I mean, and what what I thought was good about the the dynamic between him and Billy was that they clearly loved each other. And when they did split apart, which is a tough, that's a tough sell. You have to get him to pick the evil uncle who clearly looks like the evil uncle. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, you know, they were obviously helped by the good looking cousins who were like, hey, come stay with us, which that, that dynamic was a little weird to yeah, me. Yeah, this whole courtroom thing when yes. they're trying to decide who Billy's going to stay with, you know, the two uncles are battling over domination and then the good looking cousins kind of talk mm-hmm. him into it when the, he's outside yeah. the courtroom right. and then he does the awful thing of insulting his good uncle to go stay with his bad uncle because the cousins, yeah. you know, convince him that he's being selfish because obviously yes. the good uncle can't take care of a kid and he's going to have to give up his dreams of yeah. being a magician. And Right. It felt a little bit like a lifetime movie. Yeah, I mean, there's so there are some points to the story that I will admit are fun and are nice, but I still felt like that it was written in, and honestly, the artwork too. I was not a big fan of the artwork at all. It felt very heavy to me, very heavy handed. I don't know. It didn't feel elegant. Like, so Don, last week we talked a little bit about your new book, Unicorn. The artwork mm-hmm. in that was very clean. It was very elegant. Now I know this is, you know, 30 plus years later. So mm-hmm. art styles have gotten better and better and changed in the tools and techniques that you use. But I, I read this one and I compare it to Crisis on Infinite Earth. Crisis on Infinite Earth felt very clean, very subtle to me. This thing felt very ham-fisted as far as the artwork. And I think that kind of killed it for me as far as the story. I just couldn't get past it. I, I didn't mind the art, man. You know, I thought, you know, obviously there's times when you look at stuff and maybe some of the detail and, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, I didn't make comics back then. So, but I have a whole respect for how they must have had to color these things and do them on a piece of paper and, right, and letter right. them. And, you know, I'm constantly telling my letter like, hey, man, change this dialogue or change that. This guy, this letter in the 80s would have killed me, man. Yeah. He would have just said, forget you because <laughs> it wouldn't have been possible. So, but, you know, the, I thought that the main character work was was great. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought Black Adam and, and Shazam actually was really good. Some of the secondary characters, yeah, sure. I saw some moments when it was like not so good, but, um, you know, I thought some of the, and, and if you look at some of the paneling actually is, is kind of, I think, really good. And obviously the lettering, some of the, like there's a page uh, where he's kind of flying and there's just the way it's paneled and stuff and where he goes underwater it's just it's I thought it was nice man right. it's sort of like even even the panel shapes like some of the unorthodox panel shapes that I think it's like movie posters man like once Photoshop came along the the artistry of movie posters kind of went downhill quickly it's sure. kind of come back mm-hmm. now the same thing with comics I think they've gone so digital some of the artistry like clearly this this guy went to the Cooper school so it was like sort of trained and there's kind of an artistry of some of the, the lettering and the, and the paneling I think that that maybe it's been a little lost because we kind of um you know, it's so it's so digital template now. A lot of it. You yeah. Know? Well, I'm not going to disagree it, right. with that. That's for sure. There was definitely some unique takes on it. There's some right. flair, some personality in the art. Right. The, let's get back to the story a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Doctor Savannah. You know, he. I don't think anybody will argue that it was very obvious what his intentions were from the very beginning. They were not good. Mm-hmm. This was a bad guy from day one, right? Yeah, he was a creep. Uh, you know, showing up and <laughs> yeah, and just he he just looks creepy too. 
too. Um, I, I thought some of the art with him, some of his close-ups of his wrinkles and his glasses uh, kind of captured it. But yeah, he, you know, was trying to get the insurance money and was just, you know, he was not fit to uh, care for Billy at all uh, and used his kids to manipulate Billy too, which is pretty rotten. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty obvious right from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Now, Billy ends up choosing his uncle Savannah, Mm -hmm. goes to his home. Immediately, Savannah starts backhanding him and you're going to live in this hovel of a room and you're going to do what I say. Billy, you know, he's forbidden from going into this basement area, which, you know, that's where all the bad stuff is going to happen, of course. Yeah. He ends up going down there as any teenager would when he's told not to. And (laughs) when he's down there, he hears Savannah's plot, you know, about getting his parents insurance money to fund his you know horrible schemes that he's planning on doing as he runs away from the house he ends up meeting the wizard who imbues him with the shazam powers that was a different way i didn't realize that's how he got his powers is that what happened in the original story does anybody know or is that just part of this retcon that they did it from what i remember is that it, it's about the same he he finds him in a tunnel and i've read a couple other things that kind of allude to it and i think he's always you know the wizard's lair is somewhere hidden in a train tunnel or something underneath the city and the statues and all that stuff is about the same okay now don you talked earlier about shazam being an acronym right and we read it in the synopsis this is where we first see that when he first meets the wizard guy who i don't know if the wizard's guy is also shazam or captain marvel that's kind of ambiguous to me but i did notice that was the first time that i picked up on the shazam being an acronym because you see the words written on the wall behind him Mm -hmm. yeah and one of the things too i dug about i dug i mean i'm Look, I'm a big history buff, and, and anyone who's read the source knows that that draws from like real mythology and real history all through the ages, and, and I think uh, that's really fascinating to me. And when I saw that the wizard had, I guess what I'm going to call the stone of Damocles above his head, I right. you guys know the sword of Damocles, yeah, <laughs> the sword that hangs over a king's head by a hair mm-hmm. and could fall at any moment. This guy had a big stone over his head, which again just made me think about that and the real the real sort of folklore and mythology throughout history and the acronyms. I, I, I dug that man. I ate that up, and the Black Adam having Egyptian versions of those gods. Uh, was really cool, I thought. Yeah, and well, let's get into Black Adam's origin a little bit. I mean, that happens a little bit later in the story as far as them revealing it, but Black Adam, he was kind of the first take for the wizard to create this new Shazam personality or character or whatever. He just didn't quite turn out good. (laughs) He became very evil. Uh, I did find it interesting that his name was also an acronym, but it was based on the Egyptian gods, as you mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's that's an interesting point to focus on that they kept the historical context in play. You know, in Egypt, you wouldn't have heard of Zeus. You wouldn't have heard oh, of Achilles. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And also, it's kind of thing, too, like, you know, you don't know who these gods are, but like they literally, the fact that they almost map on top of, you know, mm-hmm. anyone who's sort of read about agnosticism or how religions are sort of more alike in a lot of ways than, than different. Uh, there's just something kind of fascinating about that. And, and, you know, looking at some of the newer Black Adam stuff, I mean, this guy's cool, man. Like some of the <laughs> stuff from like 2007 and stuff. I mean, they really made him kind of a, a really cool bad guy. You know, he's well, you and you know, you've got to have a bad guy in a comic book in order for the good guy to be a good guy, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, yeah. he's just a guy flying around in tights and a cape. So you've got to have somebody there for him to, you know, fight against or to try and challenge or, you know, put in jail or whatever it is that he has to do to save the day, so to speak. I, to me, in this story, it came off very formulaic. I There's the scene where Shazam first meets Black Adam when they're battling over an airplane full of passengers. Mm-hmm. And 
I guess I'll say that I did appreciate the realism of that moment in that this is still a, you know, a teenaged boy inside a superhero body. And of course, a superhero of an adult nature would never have left those people in that plane with the bad guy. But the kid, you know, he doesn't have that world experience yet. So I did appreciate at least that they kept that segment, that part of it, Mm -hmm. of the story real that, yeah, the kid would have said, okay, fine, I'll leave, I'll leave. That's exactly what I would have expected out of a teenage mindset. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, That was a little play on the the Donner Superman thing where it was sort of like, I'm going to harm these people if you you don't basically get out of here. Sure, right. Innocent people being hurt. You know, I I mean, I get that. And I think, uh, you know, that stuff I felt like was kind of uh, maybe influenced by the Donner Superman, which is still a great movie, man. It's really, I think, one of the best Superman movies. Oh, yeah, Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Jason, what'd you think about Billy's efforts to be a hero? He had some hard bumps, uh, for sure. (laughs) I I liked his first meeting with Black Adam because, you know, he's a 15-year-old kid and he gets these powers, so he thinks he's unstoppable and he punches Black Adam. Oh, man, I really, you know cleaned his clock or something and then Black Adam just comes back at him and you know basically it just beats him up he's just more cruel than Billy so he he gets the upper hand and yeah I I, I liked it that he uh he just it took him a while to kind of figure out you know what kind of decisions he needed to make because he he got caught and beat up and thwarted several several times <laughs> before it finally caught on that's where I thought the toughness really came through from the youth bullying mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, I believe that this kid would get back up and come after this guy. He's not just going to you know, fall down and stay down. You know? Yeah, he did have that kind of bulldog mentality a little bit as the story wore on. At first, it looked like he would just go with the flow and do whatever was the latest influence over his life. But mm-hmm. you could see him start to develop into his own person as the story wore along. And I guess that's where we come to the point that it took both Captain Marvel and Billy Batson to save the day. And, you know, what does that mean? I mean, they're the same person but it took both sides of that human personality. And we all know that we all have different sides, right? You know, I'm a good father, but I'm also a video game player. We all have different things that we like to, you know, have in our lives. And I think that Captain Marvel and Billy, it took their combined efforts from both sides of that human personality to save the day, so to speak. Yeah. You know, as a writer, uh, you know, you always want to give people what they expect, but in an unexpected way. And what I think Shazam has over Superman is like Clark Kent, he's a mild mannered guy, but if you try to shoot Clark Kent, the bullet it's not going to hurt him, you know, but Billy Batson's a different story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have this wonderful thing as a, as a writer or as a, a reader where you're like, well, this kid's not invulnerable. This kid could be hurt or killed by this guy. And, and there's something satisfying about seeing the kid who always wanted powers or a kid who has these powers having to sort of solve the problem in his mortal form is, is actually really cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's well done from the writing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that he figured out that there were some places he could get into as Billy Batson. And then other times he had to be Shazam. And I liked the play. Uh, I never thought about it, but early in the book, he was doing all this stuff as Shazam. And then when he comes back to Billy Batson, he's exhausted and hungry because it took a lot out of him. Um, you know, it weighed on his mortal form. Sure. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, too. There were some things in this book that I liked. Overall, I was not a fan of this series. If this was 1987 and 
I was like, oh, I want to read the new Shazam after Crisis on Infinite Earths. This would have been a letdown, a disappointment for me. What about you guys? Don, we'll start with you. Well, I tell you, I have this book. This is when I this is when I was reading comics. So I have this book and I remember reading it. I, I vaguely remember thinking it was okay. I mean, Shazam was something I always kind of liked, but again, it's like RC Cola. It's like you couldn't find it everywhere. It wasn't, it wasn't as good. And I, you know, I wouldn't choose it over Coke or Pepsi, but every now and then it's a nice thing. That's kind of how I felt about it then. And I was pleasantly surprised now at how much I, I liked it. Cool. Jason, what about you? Well, I liked it. I, it gave me some more insight on Shazam and it made me appreciate the concept and the character that I would like to go back and read maybe some of the stuff from the 40s or maybe some of the more modern stuff. So I thought as far as introducing me to the character and the concepts, uh, I thought it was good. As far as a standalone story, it was okay. You know, it had its moments. So it sounds like we've got one recommendation from Don, one eh, maybe, maybe not from Jason, and one definite no from me as far as whether or not everybody should go out there and read this series. No matter what, whether your opinion is more in Don's field, mine, or Jason's, I think you should at least take a chance to read a book for yourself because remember, if it wasn't for these comic books from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we wouldn't have the huge comic book movie TV explosion that we have going on right now. So Shazam is coming out in theater soon. This book is a good way to jump into the history of the character of Captain Marvel. So if you're interested in the movie, this is probably a good place to jump in and start. I'll get you for this, you big red cheese. <laughs> <laughs> So ends another adventure with the Mighty Marvel. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this, our back issue edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Before we get out of here, Don, I want to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find Unicorn and all your other works. Yeah, well, look, Unicorn uh, is going to be launching on Kickstarter March 26, 2019. Uh, so it will be, it's live right now. If you go to unicornbook.com, U-N-I-K-O-R-N-B-O-O-K.com, it will redirect you to the Kickstarter page. It's a YA family-friendly graphic novel about a little girl who inherits an old horse that she believes is really a unicorn unicorn with a broken horn and uh, something that we think, you know, good for good for all ages, but I think certainly uh, any young lady between seven and 16 would love it. Um, so hope you guys check it out. And, you know, I have the source from Scout Comics that is uh, issue three is coming out very soon and issue four is in the works. That is uh, the same universe as Unicorn. So that's the adult version of the same uni- universe. And then uh, I have Dark Age from the uh, Red Five coming out for free comic book data as well. Nice. Well, we're definitely going to try and have you back on the show when free comic book day comes around i think we've got you and jim pruitt scheduled so that'll be a lot of fun uh we definitely appreciate you joining us today on the podcast we're glad you could make it all the way from california wow awesome man thanks for having (laughs) me dude i really appreciate it absolutely jason thank you as always for being here as well Uh, it's always my pleasure george and we will see you guys next time see you guys later take care thank you
Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotas, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.